The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish on First podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes. We're covering your Miami Marlins every day in our own way at both the major league and all of the minor league levels. If you're listening to this on Fish on First, you should have just gone through hearing State of the Fish that's led by Grant Kiefer, including members of our staff, including people like you who call in during the show to speak. That's here on the same channel. So this is my nice way of pointing out you should be subscribed to this channel wherever you get your pods. If you were previously subscribed, I'm going to call it the Fish Tribes Podcast, there should be no change, no interruption in the programming there. Fish on First is where we have all of our audio offerings from the official show, State of the Fish, Fish Stripes Unfiltered, Fishology, and more throughout this season. So we are covering, uh, of course, everything going on at the Major League level across our Fish Stripes platforms. On this particular episode, I just wanted to share observations from each of the minor league affiliates, Low A Jupiter, High A Beloit, Double A Pensacola, Triple A Jacksonville. Now that all of those seasons are underway. This was a pretty exciting weekend. Um, most of these teams just got started over the last couple of days. It's been an exciting start to the minor league season, I thought, for a farm system that bluntly has been underwhelming considering how much money and how much emphasis the Marlins have put into getting homegrown talent produced by themselves. This is such an important year, and I think things are off to a fairly encouraging start, as I'm going to get into uh, very briefly. The AAA season started a full one week in advance of these other affiliates. We're going to save that for the end, uh, but I'm going to do quick hits on the lower levels leading up to that, pointing out particular players and trends, and just giving you a general overview about where some of these top prospects are starting their 2023 minor league season. So stick with me right after the break. We begin with the Jupiter Hammerheads, three games into their season. What I'm focusing in on are the pitching prospects. Carson Milbrandt, he was the second pitcher the Marlins selected in the 2022 draft. They they bought him out of his college commitment, again, signed, played him a multi-million dollar signing bonus. He... There wasn't like a whole lot of particulars out on him at the time of the draft in terms of what to expect, other than he had a lot of starting pitcher traits. And I think there was some reporting from Baseball America that his fastball velocity was trending upwards heading into the 2022 draft and poking into the mid-90s. So for this right-hander to see, he got a little taste of pro baseball last summer, but this was his first thing resembling even a full-length start, and he didn't even quite get that far. Just four innings. What stood out to me was that fastball velocity in this outing for Jupiter. Milbrandt sitting in the mid-90s, averaging just under 95 miles per hour on his fastball. That certainly caught my attention. And in that same grouping, we have Jacob Miller. He was drafted just ahead of Milbrandt in 2022 out of an Ohio high school. He's well-known for his breaking balls, And so his debut went a little bit differently in that the results were terrific. He pitched five scoreless innings, only allowing two hits in the process on a hyper-efficient 65 pitches, although his fastball velocity was a couple ticks down from Milbrandt. He was averaging about 92.5 on his heater in his first outing of this season. So Miller is somebody that... um, you would expect, if nothing else, there's a lot of confidence in his breaking balls and being able to miss bats, even if it's ultimately as a reliever, one way or the other, 
kind of surprising how few swings and misses he got in this very first outing with Jupiter. Some other notable prospects assigned to the Hammerheads to begin the year, infielder Ian Lewis, utility guy Javier Sanoa. With Lewis, missed a good chunk of last year due to injury, signed out of the Bahamas way back in 2019. He's somebody that could rise fairly quickly in the system if he hits the way that we expect him to. He's been a little bit inconsistent in uh, living up to what I think his immense hitting potential is. And Sanoa is somebody, he had a fascinating year last year. He lit up rookie ball, struggled actually with Jupiter in both stops, showed tremendous contact hitting, and that continued over the winter playing Venezuelan winter ball as one of the youngest players out there. Sanoa is listed at five foot seven, and I think that's right about accurate. So there's clearly limitations in terms of his power potential at this stage of his career, at least. But just like Lewis, um, young guy, I think he's right around 20 years old right now. So I'm looking forward to him kind of repeating this level to uh, have a lot more success offensively and to make his way up to Beloit. So we're going to spend a lot of time here on Beloit. If you listen to the stream that I did with Alex Carver of Fish on the Farm, as well as Daniel DeVivo, I think we agreed that the Beloit Skycarp are the minor league affiliate to watch this upcoming season. Some of that comes down to their broadcast elements. I want to shout out Larry Larson and their whole crew that produces both the radio side and television product. A really good camera angle at their home ballpark, good graphics, uh, slow motion replays. Like You can really see their games in high quality and understand what's going on there, get a real good feel for these prospects. More so than anything else, it's driven by the caliber of talent that is on these affiliates. Beginning, to me, with Khalil Watson. I'd see him as a big bounce-back candidate. Very disappointing first year in pro ball last season on and off the field. So far on the field in Beloit, it's been a great opening weekend for him. Particularly on Saturday, he went 3-for-3 with a home run, a walk, and outstanding defensive play at shortstop as well. 1-0 pitch, rolled to the hole at short, backhanded play by Watson, throw to first in time to get him, but Watson is hobbling down the third base line. There was an injury scare when he was making that defensive play. He hurt his ankle, it looked like, but then he stayed in the game, and that's actually when he hit the home run, and you can see him very noticeably limping around the bases. Very brief injury scare. He didn't start on Sunday, but he did come into that game as a pinch hitter. So now with the off day coming on Monday, Uh, Things should be business as usual, you would think, this upcoming week for Khalil Watson, who has all the potential to establish himself as a MLB top 100 overall prospect. Once again, just immense offensive tools. The defensive play at shortstop, probably the most encouraging thing. Um, Earlier in the same weekend, he did make a pretty routine error, so I want to be fair on both sides of it. It wasn't a perfect start for him in that aspect. The upside is immense. I still understand completely why the Marlins took him where they did uh, in with their very first pick in the 2021 draft. And now we go to Jacob Berry, first-round pick last year. Uh, you'll remember that myself and a lot of our staff, we were very critical of the decision to take him in the first place. Um, no offense to him. It's just understanding who else was on the board with the sixth overall pick. He had a very milk toast debut at low A last year. They promoted him up to Beloit anyway. What stood out about this opening series is in his very first game, he stole a base. After stealing only one base, 
in 30-something games the year before in pro ball. Then the next day, he had a triple to right center field. Not not one of those fluky triples. He just crushed the line drive into the gap, made it to the wall, and he was busting it around the base, bases to get to third. So somebody not known for his athleticism, in fact, his lack of athleticism being pointed as a reason why uh, he was perhaps an unusual pick as high as he was, that showed up in these first couple games. I was not expecting to see that a pleasant surprise. Then on Sunday, to finish off that game, he did, this is what we expect from Jacob Berry. He rips a single between first and second to drive in the winning run, a walk-off RBI single to win Beloit their opening series. Barry grounds it through the right side, past the dive of Acosta. Rosario gets the wave around third. The throw to the plate is not in time. Rosario slides around the tag, and Jacob Barry delivers a walk-off winner. Barry is somebody that if he hits the way that he's supposed to, he could move up in the system before the end of the year. Uh, the bat is the one thing, at least the hit tool for the switch hitter, is thought to be the safest thing with him. So anything else beyond that, that is gravy at this point. We'll see how long he sticks defensively at third base. I think that is the only defensive position uh, he played during this opening series. Let me just double-check that for you as we go into Jacob Berry. For Beloit, he was at third base in each of these games. So two, only two hits during these first three games, if you want to dive really deep into small sample sizes. Overall, I'm encouraged by the athleticism portion of it. On the pitching side, Alex Williams, the 11th round pick of the Marlins in this past draft, his high A debut, six scoreless innings. What stood out to me, fastball command, getting whiffs up in the strike zone with it, as well as his changeup. It has that vertical drop you want, and it also has that arm side movement that comes in late as well to get some whiffs. It was just a great pitch for him. The fastball is where he got most of his damage. My favorite play was what he did defensively on a shallow fly ball to the right, caught by Osiris Johnson. And in the course of chasing down that pop-up, the defense on the right side got scrambled. Williams hits a cover first base um, for the runner that was on first and had floated off the bag. Williams makes a great catch on the throw in from right field to double off that runner. That was a great moment to uh, keep the shutout intact. Waits for the 2-1 as the runner goes. The pitch is popped up on the first base side. Long run for Mourinez. Johnson, the right fielder, slides and makes the catch. Throws to first. That's a double play as Williams gets over to cover. Some other notables on the Sky Carp roster. We have Yiddy Cape. The reigning Marlins minor league player of the year. He's experimenting at the middle infield spots for this team. Joe Mack behind the plate. He's been solid so far in this super small sample size. And Evan Fitterer, who I see as somebody that has is capable of a lot more than he's shown in the minors so far. His first start, once again, played by plagued by just bad control. Um, I think eventually he's going to figure that out. This is a crucial year for him to do so. Um, not starting on the right foot. And after spending so much of last year in Beloit, um, I'd like to see him get positive results relatively quickly. Finishing off this segment, we're going to go to Jacksonville after the break. In between Double A Pensacola and the natural place to start with the Blue Wahoos is Yuri Perez. 
a little bit surprising that he is repeating the double-A level, widely regarded as one of the best pitching prospects in all of baseball, and finished last year on a high note. Like He was missing bats at double-A during the starts where he was fully healthy last year. He was really successful. Uh, For the moment, they just have a lot of arms above him on the depth charts in triple-A, and I think that more so than anything explains why he got this particular assignment once again. His debut was... I don't know if you want to say bad, not what you're looking for, four innings pitched, and it took him an inefficient 89 pitches to get through it. That might be his highest pitch count so far during his pro career. He allowed three hits, um, three runs, but only one earned, three walks, five strikeouts, and a home run for Yuri. The reason why I had to push back the recording time of this podcast, because I was just following some updates on this Sunday Pensacola game that started at 5 o'clock Eastern. And I see the first couple times through the order that Pat Monteverde, the left-hander, was like perfect through three innings. And so I had to tune in and watch that before going in to record that just to see how far he would go with this. Uh, and I'm this is still in the middle of the game, so maybe his final line will look different. But six innings pitch so far, one hit, one walk, 11 strikeouts of a no-hit performance, but it was a loss. Swing and a miss at a high fastball. Strikeout number 11 for Patrick Monteverdi. This is yet another pitcher that was drafted recently, 2021, at a Texas Tech, if I remember correctly. I came to like him a lot as last year went on. He did finish last year in A. 11 strikeouts, though, is something new for him. Last year, what was stood out is his general pitchability, the the variety of his pitch mix, but not so much missing bats. In this one, it mainly was with his fastball. Fastball's up in the zone, fastball's inside as well. What stands out to me is his willingness to throw fastballs inside, not worrying about hitting batters, um, and locating precisely enough to get cold strikes on those pitches that batters really don't want to do much with anyway. He's got a changeup. He's got, to me, I see two different breaking balls, a slider and a curveball, in Monteverde. Uh, it's somebody that hasn't got a whole lot of love, but the, I mean, this particular game, I'm sure is going to draw a lot of attention to him. Shout out to him. Uh, another player that is um, relatively filled out physically. He doesn't really rely on velocity too much. I think he, off the top of my head, I think he's 25 years old. So he could move up fairly quickly if he's having success as well. Uh, an extraordinary starting Uh, moment for him one of the better outings that um probably in all of minor league baseball to this very early portion of the season we've seen glimpses immediately of what made Nassim Nunez so awesome last year as well as Paul McIntosh both of them back in Pensacola after being part of the Southern League League champs last year Nassim made an incredible defensive play at shortstop and on this Sunday game he scored the first run scoring from first on a double without a throw um, so easy, so extraordinary. And we do have from Nassim, from a few other players on this roster, we have brief interviews posted on the Fish Stripes YouTube channel, if you haven't already seen those, from Pensacola's Media Day. With McIntosh, he had a grand slam to right center field. I didn't get the official estimate on it. Um, it was easily 415 feet, maybe more than that, just a no-doubter to one of the deepest parts of the ballpark. This player that, similar to Yuri, and probably more so to Yuri, it is difficult to explain why it is that McIntosh didn't get bumped up 
to uh, AAA because the bat is there. Uh, I guess I want to give him every chance to be a catcher. What actually stood out about the Sunday game is he started in left field, and that was the first time him starting in left field since in any regular season game since 2021. So that's something to watch. Cody Morissette is assigned to this team. He's actually rehabbing with Jupiter this past weekend. Usually when you're already playing minor league rehab games, that is a good sign that you're close to returning. So I'm mentioning him here just because I anticipate him rejoining, or actually joining for the first time, the Pensacola roster sometime during this upcoming week. He's coming back from a um, very problematic ankle injury that took a, a pretty serious surgery to repair. So just a little bit behind schedule. Um, I'm excited to see him once he gets fully up to speed again. Other notables from this Pensacola roster, they have Dax Fulton, um, who I I don't think he he needs much introduction. A lot of promise with him, and he was the one that actually got the opening day start for this team. Victor Mesa Jr. finally caught up to Victor Victor Mesa. They're both on the same roster. Victor Jr., obviously the priority at this stage of his career. My personal favorite, Sean Reynolds. He's a high leverage reliever for this team. Actually did pretty poorly in his season debut. Um, There's no rush with him in his first year on the 40-man roster. I expect him to spend this year split between AA and AAA, even if things go well. Lastly, I want to mention, I don't know if he's still prospect eligible, Jose Devers, just 23 years old. He's still here. He was awful in 2022. I had... um, Come pretty close to giving up on him. So much of that simply being injury-related due to what was initially a shoulder injury that he suffered during in the big leagues. In Pensacola, they're giving him some short starts at short that actually move Nassim over to second base. Uh, so I'm still a little iffy on Devers' future. I don't know if that arm strength is coming back. That power will probably, that was never there in the first place. I don't think it is going to be there. Still, this is pretty close second behind Beloit in terms of intrigue for the talent evaluators among us. After the break, we get to Triple A Jacksonville. Players going up and down between there and the big leagues. And now with a couple new injuries on the Marlins big league roster, these are guys that will be knocking on the door as loudly as ever to get their opportunities. Stick with me. I'm extremely excited that all Triple A teams this year now have full stat cast data available to us to interpret in real time. That is awesome. It is right up there, nearly as thorough as what we get for these major league games. Um, last year for Jacksonville, we only got them when they made road trips to Charlotte, the White Sox AAA affiliate. Now we get them for every single game, and I feel spoiled with all this insight. That gives us a really a much clearer understanding of how these players' productions could translate to the big leagues and whether the peripherals that they're putting up are something that would actually work at the highest level. With Jacksonville, starting with the negative, their pitching staff has an ERA right around 7 to this point in the season. That is uh, not going to do. That's uh, it's unsurprising when you look at the roster. There just aren't interesting starting... All the starting pitchers are either longtime depth guys or minor league free agent journeyman that's lacking in velocity and swing and miss stuff. Um, It's an unsexy group, to say the least, among those that are actually gobbling up the majority of the innings for this team. On the offensive side, uh, Gerard Encarnacion, a name you guys are very familiar with. We saw him in the big leagues last year. Um, 
and it went poorly. That And it was frustrating considering how well he did in the upper minors leading up to it. To this point, he's off to a, another slow start at the plate at AAA right now, striking out over 50% of the time. And that was problematic in the majors when he was striking out 40%. And for him to go down even under a small week-plus sample size, striking out half the time, it just hammers home my concerns in particular about him catching up to velocity. From what I've seen, it's a lot of strikeouts on fastballs, including those that are in the zone or near the zone. The type of pitches that you simply can't miss and you shouldn't miss for a player like him. And yet, uh, on a positive side, on Sunday, he made an amazing home run robbery in right field. At Jacksonville's home ballpark, they have a short wall where you don't have to jump to reach over it. In this case, he did have to leave his feet, and he makes he gets it in the glove at least two feet above the top of the wall. This one was so obviously going over the wall, and this is the kind of athleticism that you don't expect for somebody of his size. And the 0-1. High fly ball in the right, pretty deep. Encarnacion back at the wall, leaves, and he took it back! Yoror Encarnacion robs a home run! All things considered, I still have him significantly below Peyton Burdick on my depth chart. When we're talking about players that are on the 40-man roster who should be in the very near-term future considered for call-up candidates, now that Avisiel Garcia has suffered potentially another hamstring injury, similar to what kept him out for a lot of the second half of last year. Peyton Burdick, he is off to a hot start, making a ton of hard contact and sending a lot of it over the wall. He has four home runs. He has he really has three home runs because one of them was against a position player. In, when, in a game, I think it only went 10 or 11 innings during the first series against Gwinnett, um, they just ran out of pitchers that they were comfortable using given how much rest they'd had or what the mandates from the parent club were. Even in, a, I think it was a tie game, they had to bring in multiple position players to get them through the rest of the game. And Burdick uh, took advantage of that. There's no doubt that he's um, his game power is extraordinary, and we've seen that in the past. He's also striking out a lot, to be clear. Actually, his strikeout rate is over 40% at AAA so far this year. Um, that is, you know, that's a, and the fact that he's only drawn one walk to this point is also concerning. I, I'm just still wowed by the quality of contact he is making that has culminated to this point in a 1020 OPS, OPS over 1,000, with three doubles in addition to those home runs, 10 runs driven in. This is in just eight games played. And I think he's seen time at each of the outfield positions. His biggest highlight, well, not as big, I guess the home runs are the biggest highlight. He also made a great defensive play already this season. An outfield assist from right field, uh, either one or two hops to get to home plate. It was just precisely on the line so that the tag could be made in time. That's been the biggest positive surprise about his entire development since he's been in the system for the last four years is his defense. For, that he's good enough and athletic enough to fake it in center field, and he's certainly adequate enough in the corner spots to add some value over there. If you are a close listener to our content, and I thank you if you are, then you may have caught one of my preseason bold predictions on Unfiltered, was that Burdick would hit 15-plus home runs in the big leagues 
this year. I do think he's going to get up relatively soon, and that once he gets up, I expect him to stay up for the vast majority of this season. He can be better than what we saw during his cup of coffee in the big leagues last year. I also did want to shout out Austin Allen. He was a non-roster invitee to spring training. He did play quite a bit in those games. In this small sample, he is also hitting the ball hard, just as much as Burdick. I think his max exit velocity is 114 miles per hour. Now, there are sometimes bugs in this system. You can never be 100% sure. Uh, To my eye, it does look like he's hitting the ball as hard as anybody on this team. He's a a big body for a, a catcher, bigger than you'd expect, and he can put the ball in the air. Overall, there are still some limitations to his offensive profile. When it comes to defensively, he has an accurate arm, but not the greatest arm strength, and he has a pretty slow pop time. There have been, to this point, several games I've seen where the opponents are running rampant on partly the Marlins pitchers, but even more so on Austin Allen himself. So at a time where Jacob Stallings off to another slow start offensively and dealing with very minor back issue at the moment, and with Nick Fortes, let's be transparent about it, Nick Fortes is not hitting either to this point in the season. I know he is somewhat of a uh, fan favorite, but he is 3-for-21. Aside from that one no-doubt home run he had during the opening series, he's given them practically nothing offensively. So it's not crazy to think the Marlins may need to utilize another catcher at some point this season. And Austin Allen could be the, the next man up if there is an injury or if there is um, difficult to explain struggles from Fortes that continue. Guys that are in part-time roles doing fairly well in so far, CJ Inahosa and Jake Mangum. You remember both of them from spring training, probably. Um, I don't see an imminent fit for them on the active roster, but Mangum, they're both doing well offensively in Inahosa is versatile at each of the infield positions, and Mangum is pretty good in center field. So, I mean, there are there's a possibility that you'll see them if they do sustain this over the course of the year. Something that was mentioned during spring training by Skip Schumacher, Xavier Edwards trying out center field for himself, given how much infield depth that the Marlins have and the difficult path to playing time for a guy that's already on the 40-man roster and the clock is ticking a little bit on finding out who he is. So he has played two games in center field. From what I've seen, there just haven't been really any eventful opportunities for him to succeed or fail to this point. The jury is still out on how that goes. He's been fine offensively to this point in the season, still running well and still making contact at a fairly high rate. Getting back to the pitching side, the one that is mostly negative, the notables are out of the bullpen. And there was actually news earlier on Sunday about Eli Villalobos being designated for assignment. He'd gotten off to a very slow start. A bunch of base runners in each of his first three outings, including home runs allowed in the last two. So they are hopeful to sneak him through waivers, given the timing of his struggles and that we're at a point in the season where maybe teams aren't going to bend over backwards to make room for a guy whose arrival in the big leagues isn't imminent. We'll see if Villalobos sticks around. I do expect him to. Um, the ones that most caught my attention are Anthony Maldonado and Zach Leban. Leban? Zach Leban? I need to triple check that pronunciation on Leban. Um, he had an eventful outing, I think on Friday, 
when he walked the bases loaded but then struck out the next three after that and he still has not allowed a hit this season although he has put on a lot of base runners with his wildness mostly sinker slider combination with a few changeups mixed in and the fastball velocity gets into the touches on 97 from what i saw in his most recent outing with maldonado it's less so about the velocity it's more so about the quality of his wipe up wipe out breaking ball and also his control has been pretty good every step of his development i think both these guys from the 2019 draft if i remember correctly and maldonado is one i've been following relatively closely um given that we've been able to see him in international ball now on a few occasions in this past World Baseball Classic for Puerto Rico, uh, a couple winter league regular seasons in Puerto Rico um, this past year and then two years prior to that. Also pitched in the Caribbean Series re- representing Puerto Rico. So I've been watching him there and he seems to handle those high leverage moments pretty well. So that's one of those intangibles that stood out to me. In this minor league season, just one run allowed in his first five and a third innings with eight strikeouts to those 18 batters face. I know I got a question from Marcelo DeVivo about when we think Maldonado could be coming up in light of this new injury to JT Chagua and Stephen Okert not quite back from his injury yet. Um, yeah, There is potentially some room for a younger, inexperienced arm to come up and claim it. I think he's going to be under consideration soon, but not necessarily somebody that's going to leapfrog guys already on the uh, 40-man roster. Yeah, I can't say that I'm looking for anything in particular that he needs to prove at this point to um, get up there, but I would, as I look at this, who do we think would get called up if the Marlins are in need of an additional right-hander in their bullpen? Uh, they are getting relatively thin on the 40-man relief front among the guys that are actually available, given that George Soriano is off to kind of an uneven start and hasn't actually pitched very much to this point in the regular season. And Tommy Nance still hurt. Um, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see whether... Uh, they just won't want to put Maldonado in a position where he leaves the big leagues and then they feel pressure to get that 40-man spot back and designate him for assignment. I think they feel a little bit, they regard him more highly than to bring him up um, in an emergency. I think for the time being, uh, Stephen Okert relatively close to coming back healthy once he gets through a couple rehab outings on this Jacksonville team. And he would be the natural body to fill in for Xiaogua, um temporarily. So I think Maldonado is somebody to check back in um, perhaps in a, a few weeks. I was going to say a month, but I, I think he's getting close. If he keeps us up for uh, another few appearances where he's just um, not quite dominant, but great. If he keeps us up for a little while longer, then they're going to have to take a, uh, a serious look at Anthony Maldonado on the big league team. That Jacksonville team, um, yeah, not as sexy in terms of high ceiling prospects among the ones that are actually available to pitch at the moment but nonetheless that is my roundup of where we are with this minor league system to this point in the season this has been eli sussman from fish stripes thanks for tuning in to another episode of the official show doing these twice a week every week I have some very unique episodes planned in the near-term future discussing uh, some surprising topics that you can't get anywhere else so we try to make unique contact for you and valuable content for you as Marlins fans, 
Fish on First podcast channel, wherever you get your pods. Follow the show, and wherever applicable, rate and review it. That is very much appreciated so that other Marlins fans can discover it for themselves. Let's have a fun week here, right in the midst of so much baseball going on. And you can you know where to find me, wherever you find Fish Stripes, and also personally on Twitter at Real Eli E-L-Y. That'll do it for this episode. Go Fish. Go Fish.